Uh, all, right. all right, all right, well, uh, all right. That, that was <laughs> unnecessary, bro. Oh my life God. being skinny, Rob. I'm sorry. I, think, it, I guess not. I don't know. This is the first time I've ever used this. So I don't know what. Oh. It is. Oh. <laughs> Yikes! Let's double check. Yeah, we're live. What is up, everybody? It is Lo, your host. I've been MIA for a while, but I'm happy to be back. I am with Drew. Rob and Brando from the Balls ATV crew, and we also have our special guest tonight, Ben McKee. You guys can find him at Ben McKee 14 on Twitter, representative of 24-7 Sports, covering the Balls. Ben, happy to have you with us. How are you feeling tonight? Well, I appreciate y'all having me on. I'm uh, doing well. It's uh, been a busy couple of weeks trying to keep up with this baseball team, so uh, been fun, been fun. I hope y'all are doing well. Yeah, we've had a, a really interesting couple months so far, but I'm happy to be back. I've been at MIA for a couple months, but let's just dive right into baseball. I know before we started the show, you mentioned you made the drive back from Hoover. The Vols, unfortunately, started out with a 3-0 loss to Texas A&M. What are your thoughts on yesterday? Obviously, you being there in person, you probably have some different takes than us trying to watch it yesterday doing the work day. Yeah, I honestly didn't have any huge takeaways from the game. I just kind of thought it was a clunker uh, and just one of those games in, in baseball that happened from time to time. The unfortunate part is, is that it happened – at almost the worst time, I, I guess the worst time would be in the NCAA tournament. Um, but you, you still want to make a run in Hoover and, and at the SEC tournament and, and try and go win an SEC championship. And uh, because the regular season was such a roller coaster, they end up in the single elimination part of the bracket and uh, not not a whole lot of room for error. And uh, the, the offense simply did not show up. I mean, one hit, one base runner, didn't have a single base runner and scoring position just not a recipe for success and it, it was kind of chilly for this time of year uh and, and it was raining pretty good uh for a good chunk of that game so uh the the weather well, was not ideal the circumstances were not ideal mm -hmm. and you didn't really see a ton of offensive production from either team it just felt like texas a&m had a lot more because tennessee just had absolutely nothing uh, so the offense no showed but other than that i mean the defense showed up which has been a problem at times this year uh, Seth Alverson, he, he was terrific starting the game. Camden Sewell looked shaky by walking that first batter that he faced, but then was able to bounce back and, and give them three strong innings. And uh, A.J. Russell uh, finishing things out before Xander has to come in and, and get the final two outs because of that silly, just worst timing of all time weather delay, two hours in, in the middle of the ninth inning, just absolutely brutal uh, for, for everybody involved. So just kind of ho-hum. I mean, it's obviously very disappointing, but – uh, it it won't matter at the end of the day if if Tennessee makes a, a run in the postseason. So unfortunate offense didn't show up, but other than that, I, I just kind of thought it it was what it was. Oh, okay. I thought you was gonna say something. I, I'll say something. <laughs> nah, nah, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, first of all, just know that someone's gonna disagree with you, but I agree with everything you said. Um, I get it. It makes sense. Um, I honestly, I turned the game on for like the first or second inning. And after the second inning, I told myself, I was like, I don't think I'm going to watch the rest of this game because I can see exactly how this is going to go. And then I text you and was like, 
it ain't looking good. You know what I'm saying? And lo and behold, that's that's how how it finished up, man. And I, I kind of felt it just from the beginning. I mean, you could see it. Like, in my opinion, it really looked like they didn't want to be there. Now, I understand they probably don't like a, you know, what? How long they've been on the road? Like, what, six, seven days? They've been so on probably- the road since they left for South Carolina on Wednesday. So, six days. Yeah. Yeah, it, and you could tell it, it was it was obvious, you know. But the the good thing is that game really didn't matter. It's not really going to affect, you know, where they go or you know how the season's going to go, whatever the case may be. Like they do what they're supposed to do, clean some stuff up, have a hard week of practice, man. I think they'll be all right in postseason because I'm I'm positive who wherever they go, the number one seed is not going to want to play them. No, you, you're spot on with that. I, I would say that. There was a little bit to play for, or maybe not even a little bit, but a lot to play for in in terms of hosting. And we've seen Tennessee all season long outside of this past weekend against South Carolina. I mean, they've been terrible on the road. I mean, even yesterday was not a road game, but a neutral site game, and and they didn't show up for it. I I, I don't blame you for for thinking the the way that you did about the offense. There were some very non-competitive at-bats from Tennessee those first couple of innings, but I, I think it's also real easy when you see somebody struggling the way that Tennessee's offense was struggling yesterday. It looks like they're not trying. Um, and Tony Vitello, that was the first thing out of his mouth yesterday. Apparently, he got into it with a fan uh, right there at, at, as soon as the game ended uh, because a fan was yelling at them. Uh, I, I don't know how long or exactly what was said, but uh, but essentially a Tennessee fan was yelling at them about not competing and, and not trying hard, and, and that really irked. Uh, Tony Vitello, and and that's why the first thing he said in the post game press conference was, uh, we, we had some try hard telling us that we weren't trying, but I can assure you our guys were trying, and if not, they would not be in the game. So uh, there there were some frustrating at bats to watch uh, for sure. Maybe a guy or two wasn't as locked in uh, as they needed to be for an SEC tournament game, but you you did see the uh, the plate appearances improve as the game went on. I mean, they're in that. I guess it was. Maybe it was the bottom of the ninth. It was bottom of the eighth or bottom of the ninth. I think it was the bottom of the ninth when uh, you had Zane Denton and Griffin Merritt. I mean, they absolutely stroke baseballs back to back. And Griffin Merritt hits it right at the shortstop and Zane Denton hits it right at the third baseman. I mean, they hit it. They hit the ball about as well as you could. Uh, They just hit it right to somebody. So I I don't think it was completely non-competitive. It was very frustrating. At the beginning, I also thought that their pitcher was doing a really good job. And, and lefties have given Tennessee issues all season long because they're such a left-handed dominant lineup. Uh, so, again, it, it was very frustrating to watch. I expressed that to you in the moment, and uh, I, I was not thrilled about the two-hour rain delay uh, yesterday <laughs> after having to watch that to begin with as well. So I feel you, but I, I do think it, it looks worse th- than it actually was I think for the most part it was just kind of one of those days at the ballpark, especially given all the weather that was going on. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with Ben and Rob over here. It's just one of those. It's just it's just baseball for you. I mean, you're going to have those games where you know where you just can't get anything going offensively. And I mean, fair play to Texas A&M's pitcher Troy Wansig. I mean, you know, seven strikeouts, one hit allowed. I mean. You're talking about the last time he faced us. I think he gave up five or six runs, you know. And so, yeah. you know, like he – I mean, Tennessee he touched him. Completely, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we torched him last time. He just completely just shut that game down. Yeah. And my biggest takeaway, though, from it, though, is like even as frustrating as it was, our pitching looked great, you know, and it looks like they're building a lot of confidence, and that's exciting to see around this time of the year. And at the end of the day, I'd rather have us have a performance like this in early rounds of an SEC tournament 
than as opposed to going in next weekend where we're already down, you know, one game in a regional. So it's better off, in my opinion, just to get this type of performance out of the way, just get, you know, and just get more rest and preparation for that regional next week. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. Um, it, and we just saw Tennessee play well offensively this past weekend at South Carolina. They, they had the, the bad game in game two where they only scored one run, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, yes, because Christian Scott hit an RBI double off the right field wall to tie the game in like the fifth or sixth inning. Uh, that game was frustrating offensively, but in, in game one against Carolina, against a good pitcher, they're able to put up five runs and, and match Andrew Lindsay, what he was doing on the mound. And in game three, kind of got to the back end of that South Carolina pitching staff that does not have a, a ton of depth and mm-hmm. were able to score double-digit runs. So uh, the, the offense has been great the last month, month and a half of the season. Uh, and I know there's people out there that that hate to – to hear the comments, oh, it's just baseball and, and it happens. Cause I, I get those comments when, when I voice that opinion, like, oh, you say that every time. And I, I, I get it. it. It's, it's, it's frustrating to watch in the moment, but it, it is part of baseball. Baseball is a game of failure. Uh, you, you're not going to be lights out every time out there. And unfortunately, it just kind of popped up at, at the, the wrong time. And Texas A&M, their starter, got the best of, of Tennessee's lineup. Uh, and like you said, good thing for Tennessee that it happened now rather than next weekend uh, when it matters most. And even next weekend, at least they'll have a, a second game to, you know, figure out. kind of have a, a fallback uh, if they do lose that first game because it is a double elimination. But ju- just unfortunate timing uh, in, in my mind. It, it was frustrating to watch, but at the end of the day, it, it wasn't the NCAA tournament and the season isn't over. And I think the big thing to take away is we've seen teams the last couple of years lose early in the SEC tournament and go on and make deep postseason runs. And that's just not being super optimistic. I mean, there's a long list of of history and and teams that you can point to that didn't do anything in Hoover and went on to win a national championship. I mean, two years ago, Tennessee, they run with Mississippi State to eliminate Mississippi State from the SEC tournament. And Mississippi State turns around and goes on and wins the national championship. So, uh, there, there's plenty of time for, for Tennessee to get things corrected. And, and I think a, a week, week and a half off with, with a ton of rest will, will really do them well. I do have to play devil's advocate a little bit, specifically because Drew was talking about the pitching. And, you know, really good pitching can keep you in the game. But if you can't swing the bat and get some runs in, you're never going to win the game. That is an absolutely fair point and a good point to make because there have been times where the offense has has showed up and and the pitching let them down. Uh, And there's been games where uh, Tennessee's at home and whoever is on the mound starting the game gives up three, four, five runs before they even take take in a bat, before they even come to the plate. And that's that's demoralizing. It it takes the energy out of the dugout. So it's certainly fair. Um, but the, the offense has, has really picked up the last month, month and a half. Uh, and and we'll, we'll see what they do next weekend. Matchups are, are going to be very important. Where they play is going to be very important. Um, but that, that is certainly a fair point. The pitching has been very inconsistent throughout the season. Uh, and, and it feels like they're, they're peaking at the right time. Uh, and, and if Tennessee's pitching staff pitches the way that it did at South Carolina or, or pitches even like it did yesterday, 
uh, everybody clicking at the same time for the most part. They'll they'll go on and win games in Omaha. I mean, that that's not crazy to think or crazy to say. But the problem is the offense has been inconsistent at times, and and the defense has been the biggest issue, uh, really inconsistent and, and just flat-out bad. I mean, they led the SEC in errors throughout conference play. So uh, it, it's definitely a fair point that you make, um, but I, I would bank on Tennessee's pitchers. I trust Tennessee's pitching staff more than I do the the lineup. Uh, and But that's not to say that the lineup can't can't carry the load as well it just kind of depends on where you get matched up and who you get matched up against yeah I mean I pretty much agree with everybody like especially what Ben just said about the pitching getting hot at the right time uh Andrew Andrew uh, Lindsay being able to come out hot you know make a name for himself in his you know last two performances and I have to agree you know with the the batting you know I definitely trust the pitching more than the batting I kind of wanted to get like everyone's round table of like see if anyone had a you know a lineup that they kind of preferred because we touched back to, you know, game one and game two of the South Carolina series where guys were in certain holes and certain spots and, you know, we're, we're making plays and the, the bats were hot. Uh, and then, you know, this past game against Texas A&M, one hit, you know, guys that we're not going to mention, I guess, straight up, but obviously having worse performances than they did in the last few series when, when they were hot. Um, I do believe that this team, you know, has the full, you know, capability of going as far as they want. There's no uh, – non-reason that they are you know the fifth best odds to still win it all in all betting odds i think if they do or you know have confidence this coaching staff does get locked in the pitching guys are locked in i mean tennessee can go out there and play with everybody we've seen it happen in knoxville or on the road in the past few years but i think it's going to definitely come down to hitting and getting the bats alive and i want to see like what y'all think is our best lineup i i think any combination of of what uh, you, you've seen the last couple of days. I've I've personally liked the move to to move Blake Burke down, uh, and it, it's nothing against Blake Burke. I mean, he is a a tremendous natural talent. It, it just hasn't been clicking for him, and and he's going through some growing pains because everybody knows that he kills fastballs and and can't really hit a breaking ball at the moment. That that's going to be a big emphasis for him this offseason and and something that he's going to have to correct. Uh, if if he wants to ultimately reach his potential and, and if he wants to have a bounce back season uh, next year. But right now, you, you just can't hit him in the middle of the lineup uh, because he, he's just not getting it done and, and kind of lost at the plate, um, both physically, uh, kind of shifting his weight around a, a little too much. And, and Tony Vitello has talked about him not staying within his legs and almost running out of the batter's box like you see a slap hitter do. Uh, in softball but but when he does stay in his legs and, and stays athletic uh, that's when he is spraying the ball and, and hitting the ball hard so um, right now he's not doing that and it's it's caught up to him mentally as well and, and you can just kind of see it with his body language that that it's really wearing on him at least in my opinion you can so I like the the move I, I think moving him to the leadoff spot in that final game at South Carolina maybe had more to do uh, with Maui Ahuna not diving for a ball in, in the infield that previous inning. But moving him down to, to the seven hole, I think, was trying to to get him going and, and kind of spark him. So that's the move that I like right now. I, I would like to see Christian Scott at the top of the lineup, uh, yeah. but I, I, I kind of think that they just want to leave him be and not mess with him. Because he's uh, already working. He's been swinging <laughs> yeah. the bat so well. He's been one of their best hitters all, all season, especially in conference play. So uh, I like Burke being down in the lineup just because he's struggling right now. Uh, and I'd love to see C. Scott moved up, but I, I just don't think that they're they're going to toy with him at this point. I wouldn't. I wouldn't because he's going to start seeing much different pitches if he goes to to lead off. 
versus, you know, the nine holes, typically you're going to throw off fastballs where you're like, oh, you're not really good here or whatever, you know what I mean? And that's why Christian Scott is, is having success right now. They're throwing a bunch of fastballs. He's seeing it well and he's hitting it. He go to one, them fastballs aren't coming no more. <laughs> that's why Burke is struggling bad because they will not throw him a fastball, man. And like, you know, like Ben said, <clears throat> it's very obvious. Tennessee, especially the left-handers, they struggle which, you know, that breaking ball, that slider, they struggle with it, man. They can't hit it. It's been like that all season. So I would do the same exact thing. I don't blame them. Yeah. And, uh, Ben, you talk about, you know, the talk of the lineup. I've seen, you know, on the ball Twitter after the loss and, you know, the last few series when games didn't go our way. Uh, the top of the lineup, you know, guys seeing, you know, Maui and Huna. Where do you think, you know, you talked about Burke. You want to see him further down. Where do you think, you know, Maui and Huna in, the, in this lineup? Do you think that's, you know, just right spot for him, you know, sometimes leading off? Or do you kind of like where he was at, you know, for the South Carolina series? I don't think he should be batting ninth uh, because he is he is a more talented hitter than than people want to realize. Um, I, I think people are very frustrated with, with Maui Ahuna at, at this point, and and I don't think that people are necessarily wrong for that. I, I do think maybe expectations were uh, really really high. They were really really high, but maybe a little too high at the beginning of the season, and and that's because naturally he was a transfer and. Uh, for for whatever reason, in every sport, transfers, even if they're they're not good transfers, they have these unrealistic expectations on them because they're coming out of the magical transfer portal. And mm-hmm. everybody thinks that their transfers are, are going to save their teams or, or take their teams to, to the next level. And because of that, you see these expectations placed on guys that are almost expectations that are unreachable. And, and Maui Ahuna was one of the best transfers in the portal and every team in America wanted him. I mean, they were battling LSU and Arkansas and, and teams like that for Maui Ahuna. So uh, he, he's certainly talent wise. And uh, the way he played at Kansas last year, he, he commanded those expectations. I don't, I'm not trying to make an excuse for him, but you also saw him projected in the first round. So you just kind of combine the mock drafts and transferring and, and seeing what he did at Kansas last year. And, I do think that people thought he was going to come in and, and be Derek Jeter. Uh, and, and he starts off with the eligibility issues. The SEC, uh, bro. Yes. <laughs> and he just kind of – it's been out of whack since he since the start of the season because of the eligibility stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then kind of has been dealing with a back thing. But he's been one of Tennessee's best hitters in conference play. It, it's been frustrating at times. He strikes out too much. So to answer your question, I don't like him leading off. Uh, but I also think part of the problem is that Tennessee doesn't necessarily have a true leadoff hitter uh, on its roster. I, I think Christian Scott could be that guy. Uh, Big Shot Rob makes a, a great point about the whole fastball thing. But I have seen C. Scott these last couple of weeks be thrown a lot of breaking balls, and especially from lefties, and, and handle it. The, the hit he had yesterday, if, if I'm not mistaken, was a breaking ball mm-hmm. off a lefty and, and was trying to just continue uh, to get him to, to chase, 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 and chase. And, and he didn't. He stayed on it and, and looped the single into to right field. I would like to see C. Scott leading off. If not C. Scott, I'd like to see Hunter Inslee leading off. I, I think those two guys have developed into players that could be leadoff hitters um, but Maui's Maui's not a true leadoff hitter, in my opinion, just because he has so much swing and miss in his swing, and he's a high strikeout guy. I would have him probably fifth, sixth, seventh, uh, somewhere in there, um, preferably more six or, or seven hole because he does have a ton of power in his bat. He hits a ton of doubles, and if you can get him up with a guy on base, guy on second, a couple of guys on base, and, and he's he does have a double, which he has done a lot of this season. Bring or in two runs. 
yeah, I think he leads the team in doubles. I, I haven't checked in the last week or so, but I remember last time I checked, he was leading the team in doubles. So um, I would prefer to see him kind of in the middle of the lineup. Not not nine hole. That That's exaggerating, but uh, also not leading off. But again, I, I don't think Tennessee necessarily has a true leadoff hitter, which is why he's been pigeonholed into being a leadoff hitter. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Um, ben, uh, you have so much insight on this baseball team. I'm quite impressed. Um, one last thing. Does this loss yesterday just totally eliminate them hosting um, regionals? Not totally, but pretty much. Uh, I, I would be absolutely stunned uh, if – if Tennessee does host. Uh, and part of the problem is that the bubble this year for hosting is just tremendous. Uh, it's kind of like any any season that I've seen uh, in terms of following the NCAA tournament when it pertains to baseball. Uh, but there's just team after team after team after team that is really deserving uh, of hosting. And, and I think Tennessee is mostly deserving of hosting. Their RPI is really good, top 15, top 20, which is obviously good. Uh, and they finished what with 16 SEC wins, uh, which is which is good. Uh, teams more often than not host when they get to 16 SEC wins. The problem is Auburn has really come on strong. Alabama's come on strong. Uh, Kentucky, South Carolina, Tennessee obviously got the best of, of those two teams these past two weekends, but they did a lot of damage early in the season. And their overall resume from start of the season to end of the season is really, really strong. Like South Carolina has – uh, uh, I think the RPI is number five. I think Kentucky somewhere around there uh, as well. So Tennessee needed some things to go their way this week. And, and so far, no good in the SEC tournament. Uh, Alabama looks like they're about to, to knock off Florida. They needed Alabama to lose yesterday. They needed Auburn to lose to Missouri yesterday. Uh, so some teams that they were competing to host against, they, they're having success this week. And then Tennessee probably needed to, to simply avoid not going one and done. Uh, and they did that. Uh, so ultimately, I think the road record is going to be what bites them in the butt because you have all these teams that are very similar on paper. But the, the difference will, will probably be uh, that that road record for Tennessee. So I, I, I would be stunned. I guess it's not completely ruled out, but I would be absolutely stunned if, if Tennessee is hosting a regional next weekend in Lindsey Nelson Stadium. Well, if we get whoever gave Alabama a softball, that seed might we might just be hosting that. That is a, a, a good point. Uh, Tony Vitello needs to be the, on the phone with those people uh, all week long. They're not they're not playing baseball. They're, they're probably not practicing a ton uh, just because they want to give guys rest and, and instead of practice or, or whatever. He needs to be on the phone with with those people that that gave Alabama softball that seating. Uh, they, they were certainly not deserving based off their resume and what other teams were doing. Absolutely. Um, for the sake of Brando having to leave early, we're going to quickly run into some football recruiting. Brando, you have the scoops on all of this. Do you want to talk about it? For sure. I, I sent the uh, business to read off and help, help the listeners for to know who's visiting because I can't just go off my screen and as it's an iPhone problem. But, I mean, Ben can probably chime into this with what he has at 24-7 sports. This, you know, recruiting weekend, Josh Heifel, uh, bringing in this weekend is going to be absolutely huge for the 2024 class. Um, it is just already insane for the top 10 class of what they have. 
the additions of coming in this weekend, I would not be surprised to see Tennessee add to this class possibly this weekend. Um, there's a lot of in-state talent still all around, out-of-state talent, top 100 players. Tennessee getting itself involved with a lot of blue-chip recruits uh, after their impressive 10-2 season last year. Josh Heupel getting back on the trail, uh, just absolutely killing it. This staff is so locked in. And it just, you know, can't, you know, stress enough the night and day from, you know, Tennessee when this staff first came in to what the recruits and guys that are coming in now. Um, just names from, like, Cameron Fountain, four-star edge, uh, you know, hoping to get, you know, the Georgia commit, Jaden Riddell, who, you know, committed to Georgia today to tie it in. Hoping to see if he shows up for the visit. Uh, that'll be a huge one to have on there. Just a lot of names to look forward to. I'm definitely looking to see what Boo Carter does. Edwin Spillman expected in town. Uh, top 10 linebacker, Tylen Singleton. Uh, just a lot of names that, you know, would pop out to, you know, the Stargazers especially, but guys that this staff is, you know, battling elite talent for. And this is going to be a huge weekend to see what kind of happens and who does show up for this weekend. If Tennessee pulls two high-ranking LSU I mean, I say LSU. Two high-ranking Louisiana players, two years in a row. Brian Kelly gonna hear it. He gonna hear it. I can tell you that. He gonna hear it because there's no way he should let Jordan Matthews leave state. No way. <clears throat> no, yeah, man. I definitely, you know, looking at some names, like just definitely want to see, you know, how Edwin Spielman, where Boo Carter at. You know, when they started their recruitments, it was, you know, expecting to be the summertime kind of announcement. Those guys going into their senior year of high school. I just want to see what a lot of these guys do do. Um, Chase Tyler, a guy that's, you know, visited Tennessee multiple times in the DV field. and want to see how do these guys, you know, how they, they see Tennessee again for, the, you know, the third or fourth time. Are they ready to end their recruitment? Just a lot of names. Um, obviously, if Drew or someone wants to read the list in the group chat, uh, just all around. Tennessee expecting to have one of the biggest recruiting weekends probably in the nation. And all eyes are going to be on Tennessee, whether it's, you know, you know, Will Fong or anyone else trying to get the scoop of what happens this weekend. I hate that guy. I'm sorry. See, I apologize, Ben. I'm, I'm sorry, Ben. I'm sorry, but I hate that guy. The thing going into this weekend is I'm looking at, you know, uh, Williams DeWatering. He said, you know, I wouldn't put a prediction in for the five-star blue chip defensive lineman, but if I had to put a prediction in, I would pick Tennessee, which just makes me like, if you're not going to do a prediction, but if you had to do a prediction, you would pick Tennessee. Just weird. But uh, all around, man, I think for the defensive line, the defense, especially the offensive skill players of Josh Heifel and Kelsey Pope and, you know, Jerry Mack are hosting this weekend. It's going to be a huge, 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 huge weekend. And uh, just excited to see who does want to hop into those. Sorry, I was just trying to count how many four stars there were on this list. It's out of control. I think it's um, 22. Sorry, it's a bit small. Two five stars, 20-ish, four stars, and two, four, six, eight, three stars. That's a huge amount of people visiting, like absolutely massive for that recruiting class. So I've always been a believer in high pool. Not really always, but about three months after it settled in. I mean, I mean, I was I was willing, you know, I was never a high pool hater, but it just seems like this staff and everyone knows exactly what they're doing. Um, they're bringing in the right guys. They know exactly what they're looking for. I feel like the quarterback room is strong. Um, and I'm very pleased with how they're recruiting so far. I have no complaints. I feel like when you're genuinely a good person, 
you are blessed for being that person, you know. Like Josh Hype was a really good dude. Like that's you never hear anything bad about him. You don't hear people coming out saying, "Oh, he's this, oh, he's that." You know, you heard the chatter from UCF, but they were just mad. You know what I mean? But <clears throat> you don't, you never really hear anything bad about him. And I love that. And I feel like he's just being, you know, blessed for that. I love it. I mean, the la- the previous two coaches, you heard nothing but bad stories about them. And you see what happened. You know what I mean? And the program just wasn't where it should have been. But you got hype in year two doing better than both of them in all the years that they were there. Crazy. I love it, man. I'm really uh, – what I'm looking forward to is obviously with Josh Hyde, our head coach, the offensive, you know, powerhouse has been a given. But to see the top blue chip recruits and, you know, what Josh Heupel did this past draft, like, let's not forget, you know, what Cedric Tillman was ranked, you know, and in the last two seasons he had. Just all in all, uh, to see the, now the blue chip prospects, the guys that are ranked high, coming in for visits, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball, you know, as Mike Matthews make it in, Steve Wolfong was, you know, talking high about Tennessee and their chances there. Uh, Amari Jefferson, the in-state Baylor, you know, high school uh, wide receiver, he's coming in for a visit. You know, the two running backs in the backfield, Braylon Russell and Peyton Lewis, two four-star running backs, Tennessee looking to take two running backs. It's just, you know, all around, they're being able to, like, pick and choose and not, you know, they're getting these heavyweight battles with blue chip prospects for guys that, you know, are takes at other schools. And we saw last year how they closed strong with, you know, big-time commitments like Arian Carter against Bama that we keep talking about. I'm definitely thinking that Tennessee's going to be able to get out ahead this time around. And I would not be surprised, like I said, to see, you know, more and more guys hop in. Then uh, y'all over there at 24-7, how are y'all prepping for this huge, huge weekend? Yeah, it's it's going to be all hands on deck, especially with uh, baseball no longer playing uh, this week. So there's going to be guys coming out left and right. Uh, you you all have have gone through a long list of of people, and so it's going to be all hands on deck. But it, it's a massive recruiting weekend. Uh, that, that's why Steve Wiltfong, the best in the business, Big Shot Rob, uh, put out the the story that he did uh, <laughs> yesterday, and I mean it, it's just ridiculous the the talent that is coming in. I mean you saw this level of talent come in with the the football team under Butch Jones um, and under Jeremy Pruitt. Like you saw them have these these type of recruiting weekends, and they they were able to catch the attention of high level recruits like this. But kind of what Rob was talking about, Heupel's the, the way he relates to guys and how likable he is and how genuine he is. What you see is what you get. What he says is what you get. There, there's no this or that with him. Uh, if he says something, he means it. Uh, and the, the players, the, the current players love him. The, the coaching staff loves him. Uh, the recruits love him. So because there there is that genuineness, they're able to, to finish the deal. It's one thing to get all these guys on campus. The, the University of Tennessee is always going to get high-level prospects on campus regardless of sport, quite mm-hmm. frankly, um, because of the resources that, that it has. But you have to have somebody in place that can, that can still get the job done because all these schools are, can, can promise and, and sell the same thing. Uh, it, it usually comes down to a thing or two here and there. And uh, Josh Heupel, because of who he is, allowed Tennessee to have some early success on the recruiting trail. And then now as he's caught up on the field, now you're starting to see more and more results uh, as well on the recruiting trail. I mean, it, it's no different than what Rick Barnes went through, uh, yeah, having right. to get guys like Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield and Bone and Lamonte and Bowden and develop, develop those guys. And, and Kyle Alexander, he developed all of them into the pro basketball players. Uh, I believe every single one of them is playing pro basketball in, in some form or, or fashion right now, and they weren't really thought of as, as those type of players come out of high school and – 
okay, then recruits see that. They see them winning games. They see guys going to the league and earning paychecks. And, and now all of a sudden, Keon Johnson comes knocking, get Jane Springer, Kennedy Chandler, Julian Phillips, so on and so forth. So I think Josh Heupel is kind of following that that same path uh, mm-hmm. of getting guys that, that you have to develop right away. And he develops them into winning football players, good football players that get drafted. Look at Darnell Wright and, and everybody else that got drafted this year, Hendon Hooker, Jalen Hyatt. Uh, Cedric Tillman. I mean, those are those were guys that when Hypo got here, they weren't expected to be drafted, or, or or if they were expected to get drafted, not near as high as they did. Uh, so showing that that they are able to develop guys and, and you're able to win along the way, I, I think they're really starting to to reap the benefits uh, of what they did on the field last year. And if they can piece together a, another season like that this upcoming year, and and Joe Milton goes out there and balls out, then two, three years from now, they'll, they'll have as much talent as, as anybody in the country. So what would you say to someone who would say that doesn't count for Hypo because those are Pruitt's players? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would, I, I don't, I don't think that's a serious comment <laughs> or a serious take. So I, I don't know that I would, no, I'm kidding. But I mean, it, I, I just think that that person is wrong. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a, a little bit of truth to that, but, I don't understand why someone would make that point when Jeremy Pruitt was getting players that are naturally talented, but was wasting them and not doing anything with them. What's the point in accumulating talent if if you're not going to do anything with them once they get here, a.k.a. Bush Jones? We're, we're looking at you. Uh, so you, you got to be able to do both. You, you got to be able to recruit and get the talent here, and, and you also have to develop them once they get here. That's that's what makes Rick Barnes so great. That's what makes Tony Vitello so great. Uh, we can talk about Karen Weekly. That that's what makes Man. the great coaches great. Shout out is, to her. Is that they can get players on campus, but once they get to campus, then they develop them into to pro prospects and and get them to professional ball. And, and I I didn't purposefully leave out Josh Heupel because I I, I he's still young as a head coach in general, uh, not just at Tennessee, uh, but over time he he's going to prove that his program develops players as well. You're already seeing it. I mean, you you can even go back to to year one. Uh, even before this past amazing season with, with Hooker and Hyatt and those guys developing and getting drafted. I mean, look what he did with Valus Jones in, in one year. Uh, he, he got Javante Payton a chance in an NFL training camp. So th- there are examples even b- before the extreme examples that came came out of this past season. So uh, the, it, it's only going to continue to grow and grow and grow, uh, and they'll win more football games because of it. You know, in my opinion – we have like a powerhouse of coaches because not only can they recognize talent, but they can recognize character and how much they can develop that person. And like, do they have the attitude? Do they have the mental toughness? Do they have the ability to go this far? Because if they do, we can get them there with our resources. You know, a lot of schools, they'll just get some big wig in there as a recruit and then they'll just, kind of let them do their thing and they don't grow them not only as a player but as a person and I feel like in every section of sports at UT we have genuinely really good coaches who care about all around development not only as a player but as a person in in every aspect and I think that makes a huge difference and you know I I think about all these comments about how Hypel has like a gimmick offense and one I'm like that's bullshit because you can't stop it and two 
obviously all these offensive players who are coming to visit don't think it's a gimmick either. So he's got it going on as far as I'm concerned with everything that he's doing. And I just feel like people really respect him and everything that he's doing here. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I uh, I think the the best thing that Hypo has going for him is not the offense or uh, all, all the touchdowns and, and passes that receivers are, are catching and, and the quarterback development. All that is really, really important. Don't get me wrong. But the most important thing is the culture inside the walls. And Definitely. He, he has established an outstanding culture. I, I said it earlier. Uh, his, his current players love him. Uh, his coaches love coaching for him. Uh, and the recruits love being around him uh, as well. So uh, if, if you're going to be a winner to, to a significant level, you have, to, you have to have a strong culture. I mean, Butch Jones did not have a strong culture, and they still managed eight, nine wins every season. But if you want to get over the hump and truly compete for championships and, and win double-digit games, you have to have a rock-solid culture. And not to continue to harp on everybody else, but that's what everybody else has going on on campus as, mm-hmm. as well, like you pointed out, Lo. So uh, Josh Heupel, that, that's been the most impressive part for me. And it makes sense because he obviously was a quarterback at a high level and, and won a national championship. You, you would expect that out of somebody who played that position at a high level and, and one of the premier brands in the sport. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's done that uh, again. I, I think your your best recruits – uh, recruiters are, are your current players, and the, the the current players absolutely vouch for the the current coaches, and uh, they they love playing for them. And, and recruits are seeing that. So uh, the culture inside the locker room could not be better. Uh, the culture amongst the coaching staff could not be better. Uh, the the culture at Tennessee is 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 as in great a position as I've seen it uh, since I I started covering or even following. Uh, Tennessee football, but before I got into the job that I'm in now, so it's it's really neat to watch and hear some of the stories uh, that that trickle out, and uh, that that's why I have confidence that he will have sustained success is because he'll continue to sustain the culture, and to me, that's what's most important. Yeah, I mean, just to even like attest to like what Ben said is that you know even like one of the big prospects that Tennessee's going after is five star wide receiver Mike Matthews, and even he said in that interview with Austin Price a few days ago saying like. Yeah, you know, offense is scoring a bunch of touchdowns, makes it intriguing, but he says, like, the conversations and relationships that he has with Heupel and the staff and with the players over there, too, is, like, the huge difference. And I think this is, like, what makes it different, that Tennessee's always been able to get every now and then, like, a five-star to come commit, but be able to consistently win those recruiting battles over schools like Clemson, LSU, Georgia, USC – and be able to get top 10 talent like Mike Matthews and still be on his radar and potentially have him land here, I think it just speaks volumes about the staff and the state of the program. And, you know, like, we Tennessee probably hasn't been in this good of a shape as far as the program goes culturally, you know, recruiting-wise, since Fulmer. I mean, easily. You know, probably even like late 90s, early 2000s, Phil Fulmer. So it's just a really, really exciting time for this program. It is. I mean, Tennessee is going to get you the the, the name Tennessee is going to get you in conversations with the best of the best recruits. Um, But you got to have the the culture and the the winning to to go along with it. And Big Shot Rob and I have talked about this a a ton. Um, The the two things that these recruits care most about, this isn't the 90s or the 2000s anymore. They're they're not signing up to, 
to to play in Neyland Stadium or, or play for the T on the side of the helmet or or score touchdowns in, in the checkerboard, uh, the the way we are brought up loving college football, they're 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 trying to get a get a bag, get an NIL bag, and, and they're trying to get to the league uh, and and winning uh, along the way. If the, if that happens, then then that's kind of the cherry on top. They want to be developed into to NFL players and and they want to. They want to collect some NIL checks uh, along the way. And I hate that that's what college athletics have become, but it just kind of is what it is. And you look at Tennessee, and they're, they're set up well NIL-wise, and now you've got every single program on campus, and, and especially football, preparing you for the next level as, as best as possible. Like, Tennessee's not going anywhere anytime soon. They'll always get their name in the conversations with the Nico Eau Maliavas, but when you're able to – to pair your branding and the resources with on-field success and excitement, then that's when you you land Nico Iamaliava over Alabama. Or you land Nico, and then all of a sudden you're landing a top 50, top 75 quarterback the next year who's going to have to wait a couple of years before he even steps on the field. Uh, that that speaks to the 11-win season and, and knocking off all those teams they did last year. So it is, it's been really impressive. I mean, you can't say it enough, and – you could talk on and on and on, hours and hours, just how impressive they've done what they've done in such a short amount of time, especially given where they were when he took over. One second. Drew, there we go. Ah, here we go. I'm going to say one I'm sure all of our listeners very clearly know who he is. How are you doing tonight? What up? What up, y'all? What's going on? Y'all been all right? What's up, man? How you doing? Man, I'm chilling, man. I'm chilling. It's good to be on with y'all. What y'all, what y'all talking about, man? man? Spit knowledge? You came in at the perfect time, actually, man. We we hitting football. We talking about how you talking bag. I'm at the Josh, right time. He's talking bag. Yes. Who got the bag? <laughs> you. Shit. <laughs> no, I don't. Let's dive right into it since you're here, man. Is there echo? Y'all hear me okay? Yeah. We hear you. Okay. Right. We'll dive into it, man. All right. Let's just start out. Um, do you have any insight on who's shining the most in the weight room, the battle between Milton and Nico, and how much of a leader is Milton appearing to be on this football team? I know there's been some doubts over the offseason with how can he fall in Hooker's footsteps? Me personally, I think he's going to be amazing, but I want to hear your insight on it. I mean, Joe's a beast. So as far as weight room, I mean, he's going to he's going to he's going to be the top half of, of quarterbacks in terms of testing uh, in the weight room. So you have to worry about that. Uh, leadership wise, he learned so much from from Hendon. I mean, I remember when he he was a starter coming here straight from Michigan. And, you know, he, he was started at Michigan, so he understands being starting quarterback. But it's different being starting quarterback at Michigan than being starting quarterback here because he was basically get gifted with NIL deals just because he was going to be the starting quarterback, but he hadn't earned it yet. And he got hurt, which probably was the best thing that ever happened to him because he learned how to be a leader, how to be a quarterback outside of just throwing a football and handing it off. And because of his time sitting behind Hendon and learning how to lead and be vocal and, and, and show up, it's one thing to like tell people what to do, but like you got to do it before you tell people what to do. 
Like, you got to be the first one in, last person out uh, of the complex. And that's what Hendon did, watching film. Everyone knew he was in there. So Joe got a chance to learn from, from Hendon. And that's why Joe's been a different quarterback when we've seen him in there. I mean, I remember against Pitt and some of those early games in Hopkins' first season, man, he was throwing, over, throwing guys 10, 15 yards. And some of those I can defend them on, but some of them I was like, whoa, I can't help you, Joe. That was that was rough. But we didn't see any of those throws last year when he came in in mop-up duty. I mean, he almost had 1,000 yards, 10 touchdowns, no interceptions. Well, that didn't happen by accident. He got better. He got more comfortable with his teammates, the receivers, coach staff. So I'm like you, Lo. I, I'm excited to see what Joe's going to do. Uh, Orange Bowl, I was a little nervous because he's playing in front of his home crowd. And the last time he was a starter, I mean, he, he is so cool sometimes. He can be too cool. And I think he learned how to prepare. Uh, him going through his rehab and going through the game plan on Zoom really helped him a lot. So Joe has that even balance of being cool but understanding the sense of urgency uh, that comes with being a quarterback too. So what is the one thing that Joe Milton must do this season in order to get Tennessee to 10, 11, 12 wins, maybe make the college football playoffs, whatever the case may be. What is it that he has to do each and every Saturday? Obviously go out and prove it, but what, you know, in the background, you know, during the summer all the way to now, what is it that he needs to do to make sure he has equal or better, you know, to what Hendon did last year? Not saying they need to be the same, but clearly, you know, Hendon set the bar pretty high. Not try to do too much. I mean, I don't think him didn't try to do too much, did he, guys? Like, uh, he threw the he threw the ball to guys that were open, mm-hmm. and they tried to knock him during the NFL evaluation, talking about the system. And he was like, "Listen, I can't help it that my guys are open. I'm throw it to them when they're open. Not try to do too much. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have to be a Superman or wear an S in your chest to make plays and be successful as a quarterback. So, just play within yourself. He did that in the Clemson game. First half, we couldn't run the football. He didn't try to force balls in there. No, I mean, throw it away. Uh, you check it down. You punt, little, play another down, and you keep making the right reads, and eventually the defense are going to they're going to crack. They're going to leave an uh, opportunity for you. When they do, you take advantage of it, and that's what that's what Joe did. He had a deep ball to Hendon, had a couple good throws across the middle in the uh, end zone. So it sounds simple. It sounds boring. I mean, it would be probably – Best if I said something like, oh, man, he needs to go out there and, you know, make fireworks shoot out of his ass. And do and no, he don't do all that. He just got to just be himself, man. Just be himself and just deliver the football where it needs to go and be a great leader. And I think he learned a lot from, from Hendon. Shooting fireworks out of someone's ass, that sounds pretty crazy, didn't it? Yeah, you kind of threw me with that one. Yeah, I'm that like, was, all right. That <laughs> you, that's what they do in Huntsville, Alabama. You got to remember that, that big that shot, Rob. That's, that's, that's a coach. That's, that's a coach right Eckler. There. That's a coach yeah. Eckler saying right there. That's what they do the the on, you know, in the country <laughs> where fireworks are legal. Yee yee, fear the deer. In the city, you can't you can't shoot fireworks. In the country, I can do that. So. But he don't have to. Do, he don't have to be special, guys. He is special, but he don't have to feel like he needs to play special mm-hmm. every single game. Like Hendon was awesome against Florida. But Hendon, and Ben know this, Hendon almost didn't make it out of that Florida game. Whew, boy. <laughs> yeah, he, got, he got beat up pretty good. So yeah. the coach staff did a really good job of, of helping Hendon not take some of those shots and hits because 
Think about the LSU front. The LSU front was better than Florida. Yeah. And Hendon didn't take as many hits because Hendon understood that he couldn't take those all season long. And I thought the coach staff did a really good job of, of not running him as much as they did versus Florida. Yeah, he did get popped one good time, though, boy. Woo! Boy, he got popped. I got scared. I was like, Lord, please let him get up. We play Alabama next week. Please let him get up. <laughs> yeah, it was hurt. Swain, so say Joe Milton just does what you said. He's consistent. He leads. He does everything he's supposed to do. What's your floor and ceiling uh, for this upcoming season? Swain don't do predictions. I can tell you that right or now. Joe, or <laughs> he hates them. <laughs> huh? Swain hates predictions. You see his face when you ask that? He hates them. Some sort of expectation. You can't expect him to get like five wins or some shit. I mean, you've got to have something reasonable. Joe could be great until he can still lose more games than they're supposed to. I mean, that's possible. Makes sense. So like, okay. Cause I see what you, I, I see what, what answer you want. So I'm gonna give you what you want, Lo. I, I got you, okay? I got you. I'm gonna give you what you want. I ain't gonna beat around the bush here. This is what you want. If Joe plays well, and Joe gets the protection. So we talked about how great Hidden was last year, how great the offense was. But the offense was great because the offensive line was great last year. The offensive line really exceeded, I think, a lot of people's expectations out of the building. We knew Darden Wright was a good player, but he had not played to that level yet. Darden Wright's recruiting class, all the five stars that were in his class, they were already playing on Sundays. Darden Wright was the lone five-star tackle that hadn't made it yet. And he played like it, a top 10 pick mm-hmm. last year. And that's, that's why we had that much time against Alabama. It's why we were really good. Uh, Kentucky running the football, something Cole Kublik uh, pointed out, SEC Network. But if the offensive line handles business, uh, I think our running back group is better. I think our receiver group is deeper. The question is offensive line because you got to replace Darnell Wright, and that's yeah, that's tough to do. Let's not let's not let's not pretend like that's going to be easy. That's going to be tough. So if Joe takes care of the ball, stays healthy, plays with it himself, and everyone else handles the business. I don't see why Tennessee can't go out and win double digits, uh, double digit games this year. I love it. I can't believe I got an answer. I was floating that out there to see. What do y'all think? I mean, agree, disagree? Yeah, I agree with you for sure. Man, you can't answer this, man, because – Last thing we want is Coach Serrano calling in and disagreeing. <laughs> look, look. All I want to know is what Coach Serrano thinks after watching Tennessee play at Hoover. Hey, man, don't rub it in. Don't rub it in. Hey, so you gonna call it to the show tomorrow, Ben? That's what you're telling me. Ben, ben calling uh, 99.1 tomorrow too after the Swain event. Boy, tomorrow gonna be a juicy Thursday. I'm well, sitting well, back like I, this, I'll call this. in depending on what producer's working. <laughs> uh oh. <clears throat> that's funny man man i've said it I, I said it a few weeks ago man honestly like in my in my honest opinion i think tennessee playing alabama early is good for them because they have quarterback troubles right now maybe they fix it maybe they don't who knows early i i feel like that's still kind of early in october Ooh, when? Play, playing them in october i feel like they're still kind of like because they 
are they are they going to be playing like legit competition until they meet us? That's my question. I haven't looked at Alabama's schedule, but my question is: normally they're, they're playing USF and Alex Golish. That's what I'm saying, though. Like until he get until they get into a big game, you know, then we'll see how it goes. I'm sorry if my camera went out, but Georgia, we played Georgia at the end of the season. Georgia had a quarterback trouble, but we played them at the end of the season. I will not pick Tennessee to beat Georgia until they do it. That's just what I'm going to do. This this past season, when they ranked Tennessee number one, I was like, I wish they hadn't done that because they finna go down to Georgia, and you know what's going to happen. Like, let's be honest here. As a Tennessee fan, with my orange glasses off, I knew how that football game was about to go. I 100% knew how it was about to go. But something in the back of my mind was like, you know what? Maybe they got a chance. And I'm like, you know what? After that game, I told myself, I am never picking Tennessee to beat them until they beat them then. Surprisingly, I picked them to beat Alabama this year, and it happened. But I ain't picking Georgia until they do it. So I do think they can go 11-1. and I do. And not go to the SEC championship game. And then probably have to replay Georgia again as a four seed. You're right having it. I, I think nine or ten wins is, should be a reasonable expectation. I would still probably just go with nine and three just because I don't I don't see us beating Georgia this year. I think Alabama on the road is going to be really tough. And you know Saban's going to have that game circled on his schedule after last year. And, I you know, like, you can call me call me a Negaval, but, like, I still had zero faith on us going on the road against Florida. Like, I, like until we win in the swamp, I still – Bro, they are bad. Bro, but it but they it's are point, bad. It's like really bad. But his point's not wrong. You're right. You're right. You're we right. have this conversation every offseason. Florida do. looks terrible in the offseason. Exactly. And we get to the game and, and they and they and they spank Tennessee. Not this past year, but more often than not, they have. And even what this you past got, year got a little hairier than it should have been. <laughs> what you got, Sway? Your face is killing me. You can't tell me I'm wrong. You're not, Drew. Swain's wrong. It's a fair point, Swain. Guys, do y'all know the over/under on, on Florida's total wins this year? Low, five point five. As many letters as low I mean, has they in did their name. lose the Vanderbilt with the number four pick in the NFL draft. That's all I'm saying. Do, do, do y'all know? Do y'all know why, why Vegas is in business? Because they're right most of the time. I understand when you compare the logos and the history. The Florida's always had a couple first round dudes. Doesn't matter who's the quarterback, Trayon Harris or Jeff Driscoll or whoever. Like they've always had a playmaker here or there that wind up beating us. Right? So like I like I get it, Drew. Like I understand. Here we go again. It's Florida. But God, guys, they they in bad shape right now. They, they in bad shape. And, and, and hold on, Ben. Ben. <laughs> Who is one of the most fair weather fan bases in the SEC Uh-oh. when their team is winning? Flow Rider. So they play Utah first. L's is that a win L. or a loss? A definite L. Okay. L. I think second they play Charlotte. Okay. One and one. L. The Tennessee for who? Charlotte or Florida? I mean, they almost <laughs> lost to what? USF last year, didn't it? At yeah. home. So, so like, okay. One and one. One and yeah. one. So, so. The Tennessee game for Florida is a huge swing game for them. And the Swamp, yeah, historically it's a tough place to play. But, y'all, we had Jesse Simonton from on three on Josh and Swain. 
And, and Jesse is a Florida grad, okay? That's why I bring him up. He was saying that they're already apathetic in Gainesville. And it's year freaking two. It's year two. Yeah. Think about how supportive our crazy asses was with Butch and Dooley and Pruitt in year two. We were still drinking the Kool-Aid going, hey, mm-hmm. give him some time, give him some time, give him some time. Don't take time. Florida Gator fans are like, nah, this guy going to get it done. On top of that, they had the NIL embarrassments. Oof. So they're unable to get players from the portal, for real, for real. And did they have a nice recruiting class this past year? Yeah, like it was pretty good, but they still freshmen. Who playing quarterback? If it wasn't for Anthony Richardson's probably best game of the season last year, Tennessee beat Florida by three or four touchdowns. But Anthony Richardson had a career day against us, and we let the foot off uh, the the, the gas there towards the end. He learned from that, though. So, like, so (laughs) – Historically, Drew, I get it. Like, man, it's the swamp, Tennessee. We 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 pee down our leg. It happens. It happened before. But I just, I, it's hard for me to see Tennessee going down to the swamp and coming home without a dub. It's it's hard for me to see right. a picture of that. I get that. It's just my thing is, is like I think there's just gonna be one game this year where we should win, and we're just gonna be cold as hell just can't get anything going i mean we had that last year south carolina like we had zero business losing that game and i hate to remind it but we should have won that game pretty damn easily like that that was unacceptable right and for me i'd rather accept that being as awful as it sounds the florida game than as opposed to it being south carolina again or texas or even missouri so because at least with being on the road you can accept it like you know and as ridiculous as it sounds it's like I just think with this game, it's just it's a trap game for us. And yeah, I just shit. I think Kentucky is a trap game, dog. I ain't gonna lie to you. I don't. I don't. I don't you didn't Kentucky. want to mention Vanderbilt. <laughs> Vanderbilt. Oh, God, they're they're Vanderbilt. <laughs> so, hey, Drew, what's your definition of a trap game, bro? Okay. I think like game that realistically that we have from board to board have much more talent that we have zero business losing, but we just we fall flat like. I think with this game, I think Florida, with just the historical part of it, none of our guys on that roster have ever been on the road at Florida have ever won. We haven't won there in 20 years. They know how much this game means to us. And I just think with that type of recipe, and this is going to be a game where it's really going to be, I mean, the game of Billy Napier's career at Florida, I just think they're going to be firing all cylinders, and I think they're just going to come away with a win. Like, I just – I, I hope I'm wrong. Trust me. I really hope I'm wrong. I'd love a win in the swamp, but I just think there's one game where, like, we should win and we just fall flat. It's going to be that one. Harder place to play, in your opinion, on the road, the swamp or Death Valley? I mean, Death Valley at night, for sure, is the hardest place to play in America, in my opinion. But, it's, but just period. If it's night, day. Yeah. Which 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 one's harder? I mean, well, historically for Tennessee, I have to say the swamp, but I mean it's it's a it's tough in between in my opinion. Okay. So I asked you that to set up this point. Most of these guys on this team went down to Death Valley and kicked the Tigers' ass. So they have they've been to Pittsburgh, where Pittsburgh not Death Valley, but we were down, man. We were looking bad. 
Mm-hmm. And the crowd was against us there. Death Valley, that's a tough place to play. Like the moment you walk in, they on your head, they on your neck. It's tough. So they 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 did that. They played in South Carolina and lost, but still you played in the atmosphere. So except for the freshmen and the newcomers from the transfer portal, most of these guys on this football team, they've played in a hostile environment. And with Florida being a team that's picked to win maybe five or six games, I don't know if Tennessee Florida is going to be a primetime game. It might be. I don't know. But, like, if it's a 3-30 game, that helps Tennessee with the noise. But Florida team, they got to give the crowd something to be noisy about. And I don't know if they got a lot to make the fans noisy. So I just, like, I understand. Because when I came in, going to Florida was tough. It meant more than it does now. It's like Tennessee going out and recruiting a kid and going, hey, man, don't you don't you want to come here and be the – be the next Peyton Manning, and kids are like, "Who? <laughs> don't you don't you want to come here and be the next Peerless Price?" And kids are like, "Who? Mm-hmm. Like they just <clears throat> man, it just doesn't hit them the same. Mm-hmm. They don't know about the the bad history that Tennessee had at the swamp. All they know is Tennessee went down to Death Valley handle business, and this team is different than teams in the past that have went down there and peed down their legs. So like, I respect the Gators. I I respect the opponent. Don't get me wrong, but we got to give some credit to our guys that have been battle tested too. That's all I'm saying. Like we got to put some respect on our guys' name too. Like they they went down there and handled business in Death Valley, and to me that's that's a little bit more. Um, that means more to me than going down to the swamp because everybody went to the swamp last year and put their feet on the couch. No manners. They ain't care. Yeah. Utah almost did it, but I mean, Kentucky went down there and beat them, so they haven't really protected home field like that. I mean, South Florida went down there and was disrespectful to, to the swamp, so it, is a, it doesn't have that same feel to me, um, in recent years. But Drew, we can go down there, and you're right, dude, we can play down a competition and lose like we did against South Carolina, it's totally possible, it, it, it really is. So, I ain't gonna say, I ain't gonna say you're wrong, I'm just trying to give you something else to think about. That's all, yeah, that's definitely fair. That's a yeah. fair yeah. count. Sure. This y'all show, ma'am. Yo, <laughs> me and Ben just chilling. We, we together, y'all. Y'all, y'all take over. Yeah, load of hoes. I'll wait on. Well, I'm just letting everyone get their thoughts together first before I interrupt somebody. Um, do we want to talk any about basketball before we dip off of here? Does anyone have anything to say? I mean, we could touch base a little bit of basketball real quick. I know Thuros foregoing his senior season to go to the pros. You know, um, interesting thoughts on that. You know, do you think it's a significant loss? I know one of the guys that posted on Twitter asked if Coach Barnes more or less asked him to leave as opposed to returning. So I'd love to hear y'all's take on that. Addition um, by yeah. subtraction. <laughs> I, I think Tennessee will be okay uh, in, in that realm. I, I do think Uroch developed into a nice, solid role player for Tennessee by the time it was all said and done. And uh, I, I do think it's fair to, to wonder if, if maybe at some point they'll want him or Olivier back. I don't think that they will. But the reason I, I pose that question is because right now you're going into the season with three youngsters as your guys in the post and guys who haven't 
been in those roles before. And maybe they flourish. I, I'm super excited about Tobey Awaka and uh, Jonas Adu, but they need to have huge off-seasons, quite frankly. Not good off-seasons. They, they need to have huge off-seasons. Uh, and, and then other than those two, I mean, you're relying on a true freshman uh, and J.P. Estrella. And, and technically, Cade Phillips is going to be like a power forward coming in as well, but I, I see him more as a developmental guy. Uh, so you're, you're really relying on on three post players, and they're all young and, and haven't really been thrown into to major roles. And you'll see Tennessee play small ball a ton. Uh, so I, I don't think it's a huge loss that Urosh is, is moving on. I, I wish him well. I enjoyed covering him. A, a good guy. Gave thoughtful, good, insightful quotes. Um, and, and, again, I, I do think he developed into a really reliable role player. Uh, by the time it was all said and done and, and helped Tennessee win some important basketball games. But I also do think that uh, the, the higher ceiling is is probably with Tobey and, and Jonas. So Tennessee will be fine. But I do wonder if at some point next year we're we're looking at the roster thinking that Tennessee could have used a, a veteran in the post to, to help those guys out. Well, on top of that, too, I mean, Fonte said he was coming back, but everyone else is in, you know, went into the draft process. And I'm not sure how far they're going to make it in that draft process, to be honest with you. Um, Triple J would be one that I would be curious about. Also, BJ Edwards transferred to SMU and Julian Phillips is in the transfer portal. So it's hard to see this team that literally like beat Duke, which was a freaking dream, and then drop the ball in the next round um, this past season. I I don't know what to expect. I'm like literally deciding, do I renew my tickets? Do I not? What do I do? Because it's just so up in the air at this point. Well, first of all, you're a diehard fan, so renew them damn tickets. Um, second of all. <clears throat> right. Fan shame of Rob. <laughs> <laughs> second of all, um, I think this past season was – a little bit disappointing because Tennessee showed up in every single big game this season and basically won. But the smaller games that they should have won are the ones that they lost. I, I don't mean like the season was a disappointment. I just mean like during this season, I think that they showed up for the big games, but they didn't show up for, you know, the, the little games. because They were frustrated. Yeah, yeah. They should have beat FAU by 20 points. That team had no business on the same course, Tennessee. At all. I understand they were full of transfers from everywhere. I get that. They had a good team. But if you watch the first five to ten minutes of that game, Tennessee is proving that FAU should not be on the court with them. It's very obvious. They had Euros was killing them. Bro, should have won. I don't it, know about come 20. On, man. I don't know about 20. Euros was digits. killing Look. them at the beginning of the game. Look, FAU had no business being a nine seed. Okay. That like they were a 31 win team going into that tournament. They were not a nine seed. They're like they were a very good basketball team. I don't think we should have lost to them with the talent that we have and the depth that we have. But I wouldn't really necessarily say either that last season was a failure just on the fact that we made it to the Sweet 16. I mean, Brigham's only made the Sweet 16 a handful of times. So when you can make it pass out of that first weekend, in my opinion, it's a success. And it's all game from there in regards to who's going to get through. So I think it was the most frustrating season in a very long time that we've seen. Um, but – I, I wouldn't disrespect that FAU team, dude. They made the fucking Final Four. They really should have been in the national title game more than anything else. But I don't care. Nope. 
Just they should have been on the same floor with Tennessee. It surprised me a little bit. They should have been on the same floor with Tennessee. Right, I don't care what nobody said. No, I'm, it's all good, man. I'm not, I'm not used to dropping F-bombs during broadcast. He, I like he, it. He, he's used to it again. Corporate, corporate swing. Huh? Corporate swing. Yeah. Swing got NIL deals. He can't be saying all that on here. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Drew. I love it. Do it again. All right. So, FAU was better than basketball team than Duke. Can we all agree? Kind of? No, not really. Yeah. FAU is better than Duke. Okay. Um, I think that's a fair point. I think so. I see what you mean, but depth, in, depth in wise, we, we didn't really have a lot of depth. Because think about it. And this is one thing I I faulted Rick Barnes on. It's the only thing. I love Rick Barnes, but this is the only thing I faulted him on is not having a backup point guard mm-hmm. just in case Z got hurt. Mm-hmm. Because what happened was it made us take Mayshack and turn him into a point rather than taking the guy that you recruited to be a point to play point. So we were kind of scrambling because we didn't have the depth at point guard after Z got injured. If Z plays, I think we win that game. But he didn't. And so we struggled with rotations and quickness getting to shooters and able to get open shots. They didn't fall in the first half, but they fell in the second half uh, because we didn't have the quickness on the perimeter uh, with Z being being out. Now, as far as Uros. Best teammate in college basketball. Huh? Best teammate in college basketball. Yeah, but he wasn't in that FAU game. Yeah, he he, he started playing dirty. Now, now, Ben's mama, her name is Anita, okay? And Anita <laughs> would tell me stories about Ben's behavior in school and how Ben used to talk more than he should. I'm going to give you an example because this happened to me too. So I would get in trouble in school, and the teacher would, like, tell my parent and – the parent would come up to the school and to observe me in school. But instead of me being good while my parent was there, I thought to keep it real. I was like, well, I might as well just act the same way that I would act if my parents <laughs> wasn't there. I might as well just act the same way. So I would be the same person. And I feel like Uros did the same thing. Like, Uros was over-aggressive against Duke. And the whole world saw Uros elbow people play Borland dirty, and called him dirty. And what did we do? Especially you, Ben. What did you do, Ben? You defended him, right? I defended him. And what did I do? I defended, defended him. him. And I know y'all was on Twitter defending him too. Yeah. And Uros did exactly what I did the next game. Everyone watching, Uros was like, well, shh, I did it against Duke. I must well do it again. And Uros made all of us look stupid because we defended him, yeah. not playing dirty. He played stupid in that game. Agreed. Like, why would you elbow people in the face? Why would you fall for it? And that's the thing that bothered me about Uros' time. Every other time, dude, he was amazing versus Kentucky. He was the only one that could handle Oscar Sheedway. Uh, he was he was awesome. He was a great teammate. But that moment against FAU, man, I was so disappointed in Uros because – it didn't have to play the same way you played against Duke. It just didn't make any sense at all. And when you give a team like FAU an extra possession and free throws, easy points, like, come on, it's just not smart coming from a, from a senior. So what yeah. do you think Rick Barnes said to himself 
Do I want Uros back or would I rather not have Uros back? Let's keep it real here. Chris Brown chunking them deuces up. Like we love you. We love you, Uros. We you like family. You can come back anytime, but like it's time to move on. Yep. It's time. It's time to move on. This team needs to get quicker, more athletic on the perimeter. They need more guys that can dribble drive and create on, their own shots at the rim. They need more shooters. Yep. Like this team needs to evolve from a roster standpoint. And they did. They, yeah, they did. He addressed all those needs. The same way he addressed needs after Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson's season where we couldn't shoot a damn lick. What Boy. did he do? He went out and got shooters. Yeah. So we've seen Rick adjust the roster based on the previous year, and he did the same thing uh, this year with guys that he brought in. So to answer Lowe's question about renewing tickets, you, you need to renew those tickets because – Freddie De Leon, De Leon, Freddie Buckets, baby, is a is a dog. Freddie, Buckets. you want to see him in person. Well, and the other thing, I don't, I don't think people realize that. At least looking at it from a statistical standpoint, Santiago Vescovi is one of the best to ever wear a jersey for Tennessee basketball. Hundred percent. I don't know why people even like dog him. I really don't. Like, well, I don't think I, people I don't dog him. It. I just don't think they quite recognize how great of a career that he has had. He's. He's been one of the most consistent players that we've had in a long time. I mean, a guy that you can always almost guarantee that will get you anywhere between eight to ten, you know, ten points a game. And he's one, in my opinion, outside Chris Lofton, he's the best three point shooter we've ever had here. I mean, he's he's just been a consistent player. He's been great for us. I mean, I think his leadership next year, especially, is going to help tremendously. But kind of like going back statement. to what we, what? So that's a pretty bold statement. I love it. I, I mean, don't think he's wrong, though. Yeah. I mean, you got to throw in Dale Ellis, who yeah. wasn't asked to shoot because they didn't have three-point shot. Yeah. But, dude, I mean, shoot, shoot that. There, there, there's a stat, not to cut you off for a yeah. second, Drew, but I, I think, like, Santi and Chris Lofton are the only two Vols to ever hit 100 threes in back-to-back seasons. Something along those lines. Him and Chris Lofton. Obviously, Chris Lofton's the the greatest shooter in the history of SEC basketball, and, mm. and maybe him and Steph Curry are 1A, 1B in, in college basketball ever. Uh, but in, in in Tennessee history, I mean, it's, it's those two guys, statistically speaking. Yeah, absolutely. And I think him coming back is going to be such a huge, you know, huge pivotal role, especially, you know, having a leader within that roster. And I think next year, I don't think they're going to skip a beat. I, I think they'll easily be a top 10, top 15 team for throughout most of the season, um, especially having kids like, you know, Dalton Neck from, you know, Northern Colorado coming in. Chris is going to be good, too. I mean, there's a lot of good talent here, and, and they're going to be playing quick. I mean, you know, so, I yeah, well, you got it. You got to redo those tickets. Tough question. Do hey, y'all how about think defense, this will be though? his best season, defense? though? Santi's defense. He's, he's a top defense. defensive he's player. Really, yeah, he's really in the country too. Especially, I mean, he's one of the best defenders that we have. Yep. And once he gets, you know, Zakai coming back at full strength, just having those two your two guards. I mean, I don't think there's a better duo as far as defensively. You know, not just the SEC but in America than Santi and you know Double Z. God, I keep forgetting that Zakai is going to come back. He was my absolute favorite player, and it's it was so heartbreaking to watch him gone, but. I think he's really going to come back even stronger than he was. I mean, just the way that he works so hard and everything he does. And now I'm definitely renewing the tickets. I'm renewing the damn tickets. No one has to worry. Bullied you into it. So do y'all think this will be Rick Barnes' best season since he's been at Tennessee? Me personally, I think 
this will be his best season. I do because I think he has the offensive firepower that I'm not going to say he's never had, but I think this is one of the strongest teams offensively he's had. And I think it's okay if you take a, a, a slight step back on defense due to the fact that you have Santiago Vescovi and that you have Zakai Ziegler. You're, you're able to take a little bit off because you know they're going to give you what they got on defense regardless, you know what I mean? But this offensive firepower, I'm not sure Barnes has ever had that since he's been here. I don't know. It's hard to say this will be his best season. Admirals, you know, back back seasons, especially the senior year of Admiral. I mean, that that starting five is one of the best starting fives that we've ever had. They were just ruthless. You know, so it's hard for me to say. I mean, I also thought last year when we brought in Tyree Key, I thought I was expecting huge things from him. I thought this was going to be the team that would take the final four. And ironically, they nearly did if we had Zakai playing. But I think it'd be hard to say. I mean, I think the expectation be, should be Sweet 16, and anything that happens after that would be more of a success in my opinion. I don't think you can answer it yet, or at least I, I don't. I honestly don't feel comfortable answering it yet just because I don't know how Dalton Connect is going to fit in. I don't know how Chris Ledlam, Jordan Ganey, I don't know how those guys are going to fit in. I, I think I do, but I don't. I, to Drew's point, I, I and I don't know that it was all Tyreek's fault but kind of like Swain was talking earlier lack of a, a true backup point guard and Tyreek's forced to, to do something that he's not and and I think that impacted his overall game uh, so we've seen a guy like Justin Powell come in and and not be what he uh, what we thought he was going to be so I, I think those three guys are going to fit in well uh, especially Don't Connect I, I can't wait to watch him play I think he's going to do big things for Tennessee this year, but we just don't know. It's just such a huge question mark. And, and based off of some of the comments that Rick Barnes has made at the big orange caravan stops and, and other interviews, they're really hanging their hat on the, the youngsters impacting as well. And everybody's talking about Freddie DeLeon, but people forget that JP Estrella picked Tennessee over Duke uh, Cameron Carr. I don't think enough people are talking yeah, about him. I don't know how much he'll impact as a freshman, but he can shoot. And he can score just about any way possible as well. I mean, he, he can go get buckets, and, and it's kind of something that Tennessee has needed, like Freddie, these last couple of years. So you, you just don't know how big of an impact those freshmen will have as well. And they're relying on them a ton. So if if they're not able to impact the way that they're expecting them to, then no, they, they won't make it to the second weekend of, of the NCAA tournament. They'll, they'll be fighting to get to the tournament. But on the flip side – looking at things in a positive manner, like if the, the transfers fit in the way that they think that they will and the freshmen impact the way that they think that they can as a freshman and and guys like Jonas and Tobey and Jamai all take huge steps this summer and, and Zakai comes back healthy and Santi Asante, like this is a team that, that can go to an Elite Eight, maybe the, yeah. the first Final Four ever. There, there's just so many big question marks that, that we don't know. I, I need to watch a month or two of the first season of basketball. And then, then ask me, Rob, Hey man, Rob, hey Rob is getting this podcast and shit down, ain't he? <laughs> I think they're gonna be the best team in the college basketball <laughs> history. They're gonna what? Man, Rob, we need those hot takes right now. Let us watch a couple couple games first. It's just my opinion. When I'm right, I'm give me you. my give me my flowers when I'm right, baby. That's nah, I will. I, I like you said the Lakers are gonna win it all. You said what? Like when you said the Lakers were gonna win it all? I never said that. Stop <laughs> it. Stop it. I, I, I want to know what what kind of post work we gonna we're gonna get. Will it be Chris Ledlam? Will it be Toby Walker developing? Will it be Jonas Adu putting on some putting on some weight? Um, 
who can we get a ball to in the block and let them work? You know, we were able to do that with Grant Williams. And so I think you don't have to be a, a team that always bangs it inside, but like you got to be a team that at least establishes the paint offensively at times when you need to. And we didn't really have that dude consistently. Like Olivia had his moments, but he had too many moments where he didn't do it mm -hmm. versus when he should have done it. And so I need to see, is that going to be Chris Ledlam? Is it going to be someone else? So I'm with Ben. Let's, let's kind of see what happens in the post. Tobey has got a chance. He showed some really, really good flashes last season. And, and, you know, I was telling you before, Swain, I feel like if, if Jonas puts on about 20, 25 pounds, man, I, who's, who's going to stop him down there? I mean, he, need, he needs weight, man. Pounds, right? Yeah, man. He, bro, he could be Shaq down there. No, I'm just he ain't going to be no Shaq. But I think if he puts on 20, 25 pounds, man, that's just all muscle. He'd be moving people out of the way. Jonas? I do. Yeah. I talked to Jonas after one of the games, or maybe it was after one of the practices in Orlando in between the first and second round, and, and he talked about how hard it is for him to gain weight no matter how much he eats. So I, you're not wrong, but I don't, I don't see him adding 20, 25 pounds. I think 10 would be a terrific accomplishment for him this offseason. Just listening to him talk about how hard it is for him to, to, to keep weight on. I mean, he, he said that he's in the past – just meal after meal after meal, waking up in the middle of the night, protein shakes, all, all that fun stuff to to gain weight, and just nothing works for him. He's he just his body does not put on weight the way that he would like for it to. Tell him to call Josh Hyper. I bet you he gained some weight then. <laughs> send, him, send him over to dead end. Hook him up yeah. with free dead end every day. Hey, that that football workout again. Hey, that'll put some weight on him. Put him in the weight room with the football players about a month. I bet you he gained about 10, 15 pounds. You sound like such a Tennessee fan right now. <laughs> he sounds <laughs> Just like a football player, too. <laughs> yes, he, he, he does. Don't judge me. They, hey, they do a pretty good job of strength conditioning over there in basketball, too. Mm -hmm. Yes. He, he he sounds like the, the Tennessee fans when Grant was playing and, and Tennessee football was struggling. Can, can we not put Grant at linebacker and put Adderford tight, tight end? Put him tight end. Let's put I mean, Adderford sure. tight end. I'm sure they could have done two better. tights on the throw line with them. I mean, Adderford's big bros in the NFL. Why can't we put him on the football team? <laughs> Hey, they might would have did better, man, because I don't know what Butch had out there, man. Good Lord. <laughs> Ooh, that was tough, man, but good times. Thank God it's in the past. Yeah. No doubt. Well, does anyone else have anything to say? I, it's getting late. I feel like we need to wrap it up. Everyone get on their thoughts. <clears throat> look at that. Look at, look at low – no kids being responsible, letting us know that it's time to go. Hey, man. I'm, you know. I appreciate that, Lo. It's an hour 20. You know, to be honest, I'm kind of being a granny right now. i got to be up at 6 a.m. for a 12-hour shift. So. There you go. Responsible. Uh, yeah, being responsible. But nonetheless, it has been an absolute blast and honor to have you, Jason, and Ben, both you guys on. Um, incredible for you you guys to come on the hour podcast to be honest i mean we know how big of a name you guys are in the industry so make sure if you're listening you can follow ben at mvp14 obviously swain at swain event and i've had a blast thanks so much guys appreciate y'all man y'all take care and have a wonderful week y'all keep doing your thing man thanks for the opportunity man y'all it was fun 
I appreciate uh, Rob to have Swain's sidekick on. I, I really, uh, really appreciate <laughs> it. Oh, my God. All right. Have a good one. All right, man. Y'all have a good night. Hey, Swain event in the morning. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, in the morning. Swain event in the morning. What time? Man, Swain, what, what, what time is it? What's the name of the app? Where can we find you? Come on now. You know, it's the Swain event, man. Swain event. <laughs> free, free, free for Android Apple devices. You see the you logo? You see it? You see it? Yeah. Oh, I seen low T center. My fault. Hey, hey, Ben, you remember this wall right here? Unfortunately. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, man. All right, y'all. Have a good night. All right, y'all. Take it easy. See, see you. Take it easy. Good night.